Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode. I don't even know if I can say that anymore. It's been like six years since we've recorded a podcast. Welcome to episode one of the Hunt and Fish Bums Resurrection, we're going to call it. We're bringing it back. On uh, today's episode, got Garrett Thomas with me. How's it going, GT? Excellent. Over here. Good to talk to you again. What the hell was that? You all right? Yeah. Should I call the cops and I'm over there? Well, I was I was muted, but I'm trying to get my dogs outside. They're going through the uh, the doors. I'm letting them out so they don't whine anymore on the podcast. Gotcha, uh, gotcha. How many dogs you got now? Right now, there's four here in the kennel, but usually only three. All right. Well, I got to hear the story. I know uh, your son Mav shot his first buck, so we're gonna start there because I haven't heard this story. I got to hear about this one. Okay, yeah, so my son Maverick shot his second buck. Um, second buck? Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Last year, he shot one with a rifle, like the uh, first week of rifle season. So, yeah, that was that was a pretty good, a great year of hunting last year. We started crossbow hunting. We borrowed a crossbow last archery season, about halfway through the season after I shot my buck. Um, I started taking him out in the ground blind and we went almost every single day for about three weeks and, um, never really had any opportunities, but I mean, the kid is, um, tough and very, uh, determined. And, you know, that's really all I, I cared about was I didn't do something to, you know, goof him up as far as, you know, having a bad taste in his mouth about, whatever it may be um it would turn him off you're not forcing him on it it sounds like he pretty much correct. wants to go he wants to go which makes it easy and then at the same time i didn't want him to shoot like a giant buck right away and then go in next day you know piss around in the house and it doesn't mean anything because i feel like that happens a lot too to parents to try to push their kids to too much into success that then when they get success they don't realize what it is because it wasn't earned um so anyhow that was our last season archery and then um you know after our archery season we had rifle and he hunted about seven five days in a row of rifle as well and um finally ended up getting a half rack he uh he took a couple um bad shots i think he was just overly nervous and I kind of had to reel him in on what he was allowed to uh, to shoot at. And, you know, he ended up getting that half-rack buck. Okay, so fast forward to this year's archery season. Um, I got him a sweet-ass crossbow over Christmas, I think. I mean, yeah, I got it for his birthday in the spring. Got him a really nice crossbow. What is it? I don't know anything. What kind is it? It's a color raven. Oh, I've seen it's the commercials. Probably. Is that where they're shooting them, like, in a, in a group at 100, that, kind of, that commercial? Yeah, I don't, yeah, I've never seen the commercial, but it's, um, I mean, I don't know of a better brand. How how accurate or how comfortable are you as far as distance shooting that thing? Well, for Maverick to shoot it. that thing, I mean, are they, I've never shot one. Are they pretty good? I mean, I'd imagine they go probably 70, 80 yards, no problem. I don't know. Yeah, um, I mean, uh, I was only going to let Mav shoot 30 yards, and I felt like I was even pushing it for eight. But, I mean, he's really talented with it. 
um, you know, if it wasn't for buck fever or nervous, I would, um, I would be very, very confident at 30, he'd be fine. Um, I mean, the only deal is, you know, as good as we are at 60 degrees, that animal or 60 yards, that animal can move a lot between the time you pull the trigger and the arrow gets there. Granted, it's going a hundred feet per second faster with the crossbow or more than that, but it's still, still in the rifle. Not fast enough. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why, you know, even with myself, I wouldn't shoot farther than I'd really have to be a special situation to shoot 40. I think that's too far, too far with them just because the animal can do whatever before the arrow gets there. Um, yeah. So we have this Raven, which is way better than what we were using. He's way more comfortable with it, practiced a lot more with it, which is a huge pain in the ass. If you've ever practiced with a crossbow, it is not enjoyable at all compared to, you know, shooting with a compound because it's just, you know, it's, you pull the trigger and it's plonk really loud and the arrow's there and you didn't see it and you blinked, you know, it's, it's just not smooth or there's nothing natural about it. But, um, you know, he was ready to rock and we had a terrible year here on the farm for, um, crops with the drought and, um, the farmer that rents off of me didn't plant any corn. I put some food plots in, but I put them in a little bit late. So we just had a really tough go of things on all our normal spots for the first two weeks. Um, we saw very few deer, maybe two or three deer the entire two weeks. And then, um, on the second Thursday, we went out, um, saw one deer down in the bottom and it slowly started making its way up and it was a nice three and a half year old nine point stepped out at 20 yards but was angling away he wasn't able to get a shot to about 25 to 28 yards and shot and it was a little high i don't know if he juked it a little bit or mav was just a little high on the shot but it hit him high in the lungs and shortly after he was mav had his first deer hanging up here in the garage our first big buck hanging up in the garage. Yeah, that picture. It looks like a nice deer, man. Yep. There's only been two that ever um, touched the nose to the cement of my garage floor after I have them on the string. So. That was one of them, huh? It was one of them, yep. Nice. Um, you said that it's loud when you shoot it. So did that thing, did it, did it buck? Did it jump when he shot at it? I couldn't tell. It was just too fast. Yeah. So fast. I mean, I could see, I could see the, um, barrel going through the air because I was like off to the side a little bit to, of him. It wasn't like a straight on shot. I remember that, but boy, was it violent when that bolt hit, uh, hit that buck. I mean, it reminded me of seeing a deer get hit with a rifle only no gun sound. It's hard, um, huh? What kind of broad? Yeah. I guess you got to shoot fixed, huh? You can't probably put a mechanical on a crossover, can you? No, I didn't make them. I, I, I didn't. I think they make mechanical broadheads for them, but I, I used a fixed blade. Is it called a Hellcat? I'm not sure. The local shop only had two kinds of crossbow broadheads, and I bought bought one of them. I'm looking through here. I must have threw the package away. I don't know. It was a, it was a fixed blade with, um, 
you know, a thin, thin three blade setup. I didn't look into the whole broadheads with it too much, but I just took one, shot it about three times at 30 yards, and it was right on. So didn't do any adjusting. Send it. So how, what's he doing now, man? Is he coming out with you? Is he all like uh, just done for the years? He's still pretty pumped <laughs> and want to come hunt with you when you go out. Uh, I took him out once, and I took Jed out once, my youngest son. Um, but he hasn't been going out every day like he was. He just practices here in the yard with his compound mostly. But I've been going out trying to get myself a buck because I saw saw a couple of nice ones the last couple of nights. Sorry, to move, huh? Yeah. Yeah, for uh, – I have my trail cam up in the Catskills in New York because I lost my hunting spot here when my uh, in-laws decided to – selfishly sell their house and not think about my uh my hunting as a high priority but um yesterday was the first day in three months that i got a buck on trail cam wow first one so are you just setting up like in literally on a trail in the middle of the woods or what's your yeah it's like a little funnel like and there was tons of deer sign tons of tracks uh all kind of coming down to this little bottleneck into a creek bottom and uh i mean i've got everything bears coyotes fishers turkey uh maybe a grouse i'm not sure um lots of doe but that was the first buck that uh i got on camera so yeah, it's a it's a good sign. They're finally starting to move a little bit. I might go sit this weekend up there, see what I can do. There you go. Yeah, I, I, from what I've seen, they started a little bit early this year, and they didn't shut down like they normally do in mid October, towards the end of October. But I've had them do them here anyhow. They they kept kept at it a little bit, and they're definitely pushing them around already. Nice. Well. I just got back from the Upper Peninsula. Well, actually, I just got back from New York. I went steelhead fishing after uh, after grouse hunting. But that was a, I don't know, man. It was a pretty good trip. It reminded me of the good old days of grouse hunting. There were birds there. I just haven't had that many flushes, and I don't even know how long. It was... Uh, pretty awesome to be back in an environment where there's actually some uh some grouse and i had a uh kind of we talked about this before but my dad took his dog who you know unfortunately around here like we like we talked about and we discussed i know even off the podcast is you know when we got our dogs 15 i mean 16 years ago there was a lot more birds around and they got a ton of experience and so they kind of progressed pretty quickly and nowadays, like with my dad's dog, who's two, there's really nothing. Like, I mean, we hike all day in Pennsylvania. We might have one or two flushes from where we're at. Now, of course, we can drive uh, drive away five, six hours and, and get into some birds. But uh, for all practical matters, it's not really all that reasonable. So we went up to the Upper Peninsula, and the progress that that dog made in three days, I don't think... It could make in a year of hunting like stocked Pennsylvania pheasants or on a game farm. It was uh, unbelievable that transition that that dog made. So I don't know with your dogs. Like I know you got the the three dogs now. How are you getting them into birds? Are you seeing them kind of progress? Is it is it harder now? Is it difficult? Or are you just using the pen birds and you seem to getting them where you want them to be? Um. I mean, I, yeah, I got 
total wide variety of thoughts there. First of all, before I, I wanted to, I want to make sure I I got the exact details down on the your dad's dog's progression. Like what what exactly did you see? Was it the search? So just how he handled birds? Yeah, I was gonna back? I was gonna come back around to that. But what it was, I think a confidence. Um, yeah. B, I would say like that bird drive, you know? So in the beginning, well, let's just go to specific examples. In the beginning, um, he wasn't really holding point. He wasn't really interested. He'd kind of smell the bird and then go flush it, you know? Um, and, and granted this was like his first hunt since last season. So I'm sure he's been a little rusty too. Um, so we had to do some correcting on holding of the point. But then, like, you know, I shot two woodcocks. So verbal? Just verbal corrections or what? Beginning verbal, but after the third time, it was then uh, electrical. Oh, okay. All right. Um, by the end of the first day, yeah, he got, he got uh, corrected after he basically just got birdie and went a wall full on sprint flush the bird and kept chasing it and uh you know I'd shoot a bird knocked it down and uh he'd kind of go sniff it wouldn't want anything to do with it and just kind of you know maybe grab it play with it drop it and be done and i'm just kind of like eh, i don't know man and i remember like on on the second day i was kind of like telling my dad i'm like man like i don't know well Duke, for example, my old German short hair, you could drop a bird in the middle of the thickest briar patch. He's going in there no matter what, coming out of there with a bird all bloodied up, cut up. He doesn't care, wagging his tail. Like this dog like just didn't have that. And so um, the third day was a whole different dog. And he just kept getting more and more reps on birds, holding point, you know, like the, the second day he started holding point and we're, you know, praising him like, good job, rewarding him, all that. And he's kind of like picking it up. End of the second day, things are going really, really well. And now he's got the point down. I mean, this is just like in, in front of my eyes transition, but you got to understand we're putting in like probably 25, 30 wild birds between grouse and woodcock combined. You know, so he's getting lots of repetition, lots of feedback from us, um, which I never, ever would have expected this transition to happen this quickly. But, you know, all things being fair, I mean, the dog has hunted all last year, too. So uh, maybe a little bit of it was like a refresher coming back, you know, uh, from yeah, I'm last sure season. Yeah. I think every, every dog takes a couple steps backwards over the yeah. course of the year. And then by day three pointed every single grouse now these grouse uh up there were were legit wild grouse actually my dad cracks me up because like we went to canada and grouse hunted in there we'd shoot like grouse that were like silver face you know different color and they were just i would say not as wily you know you go they let you get close they flush they just go straight up in a tree not the most challenging of rough grouse that we were used to and like my dad would legit ask me thinking they weren't rough grouse He's like, what are these? Are, are these rough grouse? I'm like, yes, <laughs> they're rough grouse. Yeah. They're just not pressured. Well, they don't act like ours. Yeah. yeah. And, and like he legit thought because they were silver and like acted like that, that they were like a totally different species. Um, but 
the upper peninsula was not that way at all. And I mean, these birds, we got two birds that actually held for point and both of them I thought were going to be woodcock. I'm like, there's no way these are grouse. I mean, they were flushing way ahead of the points. Uh, but on the last day that dog pointed every single, every single bird that we flushed, uh, he pointed like now, yeah, we had some wild flushes, but, um, because we were a bunch of people in a line walking, you know, not where he was at, but anything around, like he pointed, he held the point, the bird flushed, he'd held the point until we told him to go. And it was just a complete transition. But the, the one thing was that bird drive on day three, he, uh, he had one bird pointed and I was walking around to kind of, uh, come around. My dad was behind the dog and I went to like cut him off and, I flushed a woodcock as I was walking over there. I'm like, oh man, there it goes. It's just a woodcock. And I, I didn't shoot. And the dog was still on point. He was about 15 yards, you know, behind me. And next thing I know, my dad starts walking and a grouse flushes. And I will tell you with a hundred percent certainty that if I didn't have a gun in my hand, I could have caught this grouse. I mean, I literally probably <laughs> could have just knocked it over with the barrel of my gun. It didn't see me. I was behind like a, a hemlock and it just came right at me. I mean, what if I tell you I was within like two feet of this grouse, uh, it probably was literally uh, a foot. It was right there and it saw me and I, you know, it flew right past me. So I did a 180 and I shot and this thing went straight up in the air like a spring teal and, and I had uh, like an 870 pump 28 gauge. So I pumped another shell and as soon as it peaked, you know, it went straight up, I fired another shot and I saw I hit it, but I knew it wasn't dead. And with that 28 gauge at that range, I was like, oh man. And that dog, I'm like, I don't trust his drive. Like he's not going to go get that bird. So I just go full sprint, like towards where I saw it so I can get in the area um, of where it came down and then call the dog. I made it 10 yards and that dog already had the bird in his mouth and was coming towards me. I was like, are you kidding me? Like this dog, if you saw him on Monday and you saw him on Wednesday, the two totally different dogs like that quick. So yes, was some of it, uh, probably him shaking the rust off from the off season. I bet for sure. Uh, but some of it I really do think is just that getting around that many birds and getting that experience and, and kind of, you know, that reward, and praise when he's doing things well. And, and right now I'd take that dog anywhere, but by day two, I was kind of like in the back of my head, like, eh, I'm going to have to get a dog here. Cause this thing's not worth a shit to be completely honest. <laughs> yeah, no, for real. That that's, uh, Oh, I believe you, but I think it's funny that how, how old is the dog? It's at, he's three years old now. Okay. Yeah. I mean, most dogs don't really get, get even that good until they're, that old because their brain just doesn't, I mean, they can go off of, um, you know, their, their natural instincts to point and to run around. But as far as like the grouse, I think takes more of a little bit of like a thinking going on, like a thinking dog, which one, you know, where, what brush piles are they usually in? What, you know, I, I would venture to guess the dog just didn't know what he was doing. And yeah, but brought it all together. He was old enough, and he had the skills, and he had the foundation. But to, the uh, lack of the bird together. drive kind of kind of bothered me. That yeah, is something that think, even if, like, I don't know, uh, 
a lot of the dogs that we've had, even if they suck, they got that drive. You know what I mean? Like they're very interested in birds. They want to go after them regardless, like, like retrieving. Maybe they're not going to bring it back to your hand, but you better believe they're going to get that bird. And he just kind of was disinterested. And I, I just kind of got, uh, I don't know. I, I was kind of turned off by that a little bit. I'm like, ah, I don't know, man, this dog kind of a little bit of a sissy is what I would tell my dad. Yeah, I, I guess. I mean, I think that's just a, one aspect of a, of a bird, of a dog's, you know, huntability. I had my worst dog I've ever had in my life would not, not hunt worth a shit, not point worth a shit. But if a bird came down, he would, or she would fight other dogs to go get that bird and then tear it up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. well, that's another that's extreme. That's the other extreme. It, it is. It's a complete opposite. <laughs> complete opposite. But um, um, yeah. I mean, I think sometimes they just don't. They don't act like your last dog, so you immediately hold them to that standard and don't always give them the full, the full um, you know, leeway of hey, it's a young dog. It could get a lot better real soon. It just hasn't had enough work. Yeah, and I think that that's what I th- honestly I think. Um, if anyone is getting a bird dog, now look, if you're if your game is to just go to preserves and shoot like stock pheasants and that's what you enjoy doing, then by all means go for it and uh and just do that. Um because it'll if that's what you want to do, just keep going to those preserves and they'll get really, really good at finding those birds. But um if you're trying to hunt wild birds, grouse, you know, uh woodcock especially. I think he, we we're at that point now where we kind of got to schedule these kind of trips and go get those dogs that experience. Cause I don't think they're going to get that, uh, kind of progression by just hunting planted birds, you know? Um, so long story short, when I do eventually get my dog here, that is going to definitely happen. There's going to be some more trips up there to kind of get that experience. So what the hell are you doing with your dogs and how are they coming along? Um, the two older dogs, your Poodle Pointer, Giannis, and Annie, my oldest, Brocco, are, they picked up, you know, right where they left off last year, pheasant season. I, I planted, um, well, I got a hundred chuckers from Peeps and planted, I lost a couple here and there, but probably planted 50 birds for all my dogs. Probably five for the two older ones a piece and 40 for the younger ones. Um, and you know, the old ones I'm not worried about. They picked up right where I left off. Like I said, and they are, they're, they're very solid, you know, but I started seeing holes in some of the younger ones game. And, you know, it just became so obvious that when, whenever I only had one dog or two dogs, um, I just put so much more time and effort into them. And then, I always wanted to go to the next step. You know, what's the next step? What can I do retrieving-wise? What can I do this? And basically just for my like, own fun, teaching them more and more things. And then when I got the younger dogs, I'd always want to take the older dogs out because those are the good ones. They're going to find the birds. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So I kind of like, I'm in a weird place right now where I feel like I should have waited, and I definitely would have, but one of the dogs is my mother's. So I'm, I'm kind of training it for her. But I should have waited a couple more years. Um, so I would have had more time and even more drive to develop the skills for these young dogs 
Granted, I planted birds out for them. Um, if you want some specifics, Katie's really good. I see my younger Bracco, but she is just a little soft. She was actually, I had a couple wounded birds, planted birds, and, um, you know, she went up and just actually started playing with them. Didn't even grab it and kill it. Um, yeah, that's interesting. That's kind of how... the dead ones, but I've never seen a dog do that, kind of like you said. Um, that's very much like my dad's dog. Yeah. Very much. Yeah. Very timid, you know? Yep. And I'm not, she's good with a gun because that was one foundation training that I always do to the T is um, make sure that they are going to be gun gun broke, just shooting hundreds of 20 shots, 22 shots over, over them in the yard here, switched up to a 410, you know, banging stuff around and just always keeping that positive. So she's good with a gun, but you're right, timid wise with the, with the birds a little bit. And she's coming along. I mean, she points, she finds them. Um, Murphy, I went through an extensive summer of trying to get him to swim. Murphy's the, another Bracco? Murphy's the other Bracco, yeah. A puppy of Annie's from How the old? first litter. A year and a month. Okay. Maybe a month, two months. Um, yeah, so this was his summer. I was going to train him up. To take that NAVDA test, which got goofed up because of COVID. And then I got goofed up because I had family stuff going on. I missed the first test. I kept training. He had everything down to the point where I think he would have done it. He, he tracks great. He points great. He searches great. He listens great. Um, but that swimming part, man, I don't think he would have passed. And then it came down to where I was on the wait list and didn't get a call anyhow, so it didn't matter. But I don't think he would have... Um, been able to fetch a bumper from a body of water, especially in a strange place. Um, I don't think he would have did it. I've got him to do it on occasion with, you know, life vests. And then we, with chips and food and birds and all kinds of everything we can do. And he, he just wasn't going to pass that NAVDA test. Even with other dogs going in there, he doesn't care, huh? No. I mean, I had the waders on. We did this every day for like two months. You know, he's just, just wasn't going to do it. Um, so, you know, that's going to, it hurts my plans a little bit. I, I had ho- big hopes in taking him farther up the level in NAVDA. He didn't even really get past level one. Um, you know, so we'll see what's in store for him. I'm going to just kind of evaluate his talents out hunting in the, you know, air quotes, real world. And, and I'll decide if I'm going to ever breed him or, or what the if there's people out there that would want puppies from him if they got to look at him as a big, solid, strong dog. And same with Katie. Um, I'm just going to take it step by step. I can. She's still young enough that I can get her tested next summer. So I'm hoping. And she hoping doesn't have any issues with the water. You got her in there a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. She's better initially than... Uh, Murphy, but she still just doesn't, you know, jump in and swim around. Annie goes in no problem, right? You've taken her duck hunting before. Yep. Um, but it wasn't for lack of effort at the beginning. Yeah. You know, it was the same deal. I was in the waders, and then what broke her was she has that super strong bird drive. And I was throwing bumpers in and taking her in, the same thing I did with Murphy. And then I'm like, I can't hardly handle this anymore. And I threw a, a wounded chuck her in 
and then fired a shot in the air and she jumped off the bank and made like a diving entrance and <laughs> swam her way out there. I'm like, oh, okay, you can do it. You just need to do, do it for something you want. And then I did that enough and then would go back to bumpers and I turned it more of into a like, you have to go get it before her test. And then she retrieved the bumper at the test just fine. Nice. So what are you hunting there? When you take the dogs out, what are you going to, are you still grouse hunting? You, you seen any there? No. 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 I, um, I only went grouse hunting maybe once last year or once the year before. Nothing um, wrong. I'm just going, just going pheasant hunting with the, this stock birds that the farm puts out, which is not the farm, the, uh, game commission puts out, which I will say anyone who does it, I mean, it's, it's still birds out of a truck, you know? Yeah. There's no, there's no romance there, but, um, you know, anyone who does it, it's a legit hunting experience compared to, you know, stock birds on a preserve. Like, um, they're, we flushed four birds the other day and they were, they flushed at, you know, 150 yards. Oh, later. And they just run and run and run. Yeah. Opening day can be a little, little, uh dumb but i will tell you this like late season yeah those things are acclimated yeah i don't think it takes long no um yeah i mean the dumb ones say they, they get shot so yeah and they have to learn real quick they don't learn well enough to live forever but all right you guys have some holdovers in your area though i've seen some mm, i've seen a few chicks in the springtime, but I've never seen any young pheasants in the fall. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember being there, I think, in the summer and just seeing, like, two roosters come out of the corn, like, totally way before hunting season, you know? Yeah. So, anyway. Yeah, there's, but so anyhow, it's not a good training for a bird, for a pointing dog. And to, you know, like, bring us back to what you're saying about taking trips and stuff like that. You know, to compare them to my first dogs, which I hunted extensive hours and time places with um, my first Weimaraner, who turned out to be an amazing dog, who had a crappy trainer at the time, because he was my first dog and didn't know shit, and not near as good a breeding as any of my dogs have, as far as bloodlines and, you know, hunting bred into them, was probably twice as good as any of these dogs because he just hunted and learned how how to hunt wild grouse and wild grouse will make a dog into a good dog just because they do you know what pointers are bred to do you know they they'll hold every now and again and if you get too close they flush and they're not catching them when they shouldn't i mean they just they just work so well as a training tool because it's exactly what they're um what you're training them to do yeah. specific adaptation and i will say this uh we got into a mess of woodcock uh we must have hit that migration up there pretty well and that we're going to talk about a good training tool those birds will hold solid I mean, yeah. it is insane how like close you can get to some of these things and, you know, all of a sudden they flush from underneath it. You're like, I can't believe that bird was even there. Um, so, 
both the grouse and the woodcock kind of in similar habitat at the right time of the year are phenomenal trainings. But uh, so when you're, let me just ask you this. So when you're pheasant hunting and your dogs go on point and you walk in front of them and the pheasants already run about 50 yards further, what are you doing with the dogs? Oh, I'm just, I'm trying to train the dogs to track the bird, but track it in a way where they know the difference between smelling the track and sm- and knowing that there's an actual bird there. Okay. Like, don't point when you get a whiff of the bird. Point whenever you know where the bird is. So you're kind of you're kind of commanding them along until you see that. Okay, so well, this one's getting close. You're reading that body language, and then you're giving them their command. And I mean, it works almost exclusively fantastic if you're in the right cover and exclusively terrible if you're in the wrong cover yeah um a lot of the places we hunt there's like thicker fields and then windrows of brush along the side and a lot of time all the roosters go into that brush because they can actually move quickly because there's no undergrowth you know it's just kind of and for, you know, the first year and a half, Annie just would get in there and uh, just track those birds for 100 yards till she put them up and then run back. I mean, just over and over again. And, you know, how do you train to do that except where they start learning? You know, every time you do that, we don't kill a bird. And, yeah, you know, I guess there's really good pheasant dogs out there especially the Springer Spaniels, I think, are known for this. I could be wrong. People could tell me I'm wrong. But they, you know, get to realize that a pheasant is running, and they will loop out around and try to pin him down, like not actually track the bird. And it's pretty common in really good pheasant dogs, but I don't have the slightest clue how to start training for that. Yeah, I don't know either. I know for a fact, like in Pennsylvania, like you said, with those stocked pheasants like we would have fields and then a hedgerow in between you know and, and a lot of times those birds would be in those hedgerows and i can i know for a fact there's been numerous times where i'd see duke like come out of the hedgerow run down along the side and then cut back in and work towards me and was he going down to cut the bird off and pin it i I would imagine something to that effect, but uh, again, that is not something I train the dog by any means. I think that's just something that you have a good dog, a smart dog, and you put them on a lot of birds, they eventually figure it out, you know? Yeah. But, yeah, and my dogs aren't going to learn that from me putting chuckers out in the field all summer long. No, it's, <laughs> so, so, they get a lot of experience on ringnecks, but, you know, to take my dogs in the grouse woods right now, I don't know what they would do. I guarantee you, they would be close enough to me, do a good search, but you know, it would take that trip to the UP, like you said, probably four or five days till they could they figure out the game. Exactly. Know? And that's the thing. You got them the experience, then you would just have to kind of fine tune them a little bit to grouse, you know? And and that would probably be yes, now point when you get the scent. Don't keep going. You know? Yeah. Uh, and that would really probably be the fine tuning, but yeah, that's just going to be experience. And I think that no matter what the experience is, whatever, if you like hunting at, you know, 
farms and or uh, pen raised birds that uh, at a game preserve then then do that and your dog is going to get better and better at that if you want to do pheasants you know stock pheasants or wild pheasants whatever then then get them on that and get the experience but the number of birds and the number of contacts quality contacts with birds i think are going to be uh your best bet with any dog because i mean training only goes so far the the next step is get out there and get some birds you know get them in the get them in the field and and have those kind of uh interactions with the birds and have those contacts positive and negative because uh they're gonna learn and and some of these dogs learn a lot quicker than we expect some of them not so much but i was very impressed i will say this um, I hunted with a friend's German wire hair pointers and, you know, not my favorite looking dog, but, uh, they did well, man. They hunted close. They stayed in tight. Well, the two more experienced ones, he had one that was, uh, a puppy, maybe two or three years old. And that thing, uh, it was actually quite comical just listening to the, uh, the verbal commands <laughs> and expressions coming out of his mouth when he took that dog out. But, uh, the other two older ones, man, they hunted beautifully, stayed in range, nice and kind of stealthy going in, locking in on point. It was, uh, it was fun to watch. I've never hunted with wire hairs and, uh, it's, it's not often that I've hunted with really good dogs either. And, and to see them and they were really good, it was, uh, pretty enjoyable. So, Kind of put wire hairs on my radar a little bit. Well, I know. I think the first time I ever went grouse hunting, my neighbor Schultz had two wire hairs. And, um, you know, that's what I saw as a grouse dog is, like you said, always in range, very stealthy, not too fast. And that is the pinnacle of grouse hunting, if you could get that in a dog because those short hairs worked so well together and just, you know, walking over here, like they weren't excited, just walk over here, look, walk over here, look, walk over here, look. And then once one of them got a whiff, you know, they worked together and it was all business. And I'm like, that is it. I mean, that's the only way to grouse hunt. So enjoyable. And then a lot of my friends had, um, you know, springers or, um, setters, German short hairs. And I'm not saying that they're all like this, but the dogs that I hunted, those breed, those breed of dogs that I hunted with, would run through the woods like like you're you're busting through uh, a pheasant hunt, like a timed pheasant hunt. And you have to get out there and get every every second matters, and the dogs like flying around. I'm like, this isn't going to work. Not in the grouse woods. I just don't. I could. I had a hard time enjoying it because it wasn't what I had pictured in my mind of you know, good grouse hunting. And, um, I'll say now, I mean, Giannis is slow in the woods, my poodle pointer, but my Bronco is one of those dogs that goes in there and runs, runs real hard. She doesn't go too far, but she runs real hard. And I, uh, maybe when she gets older, she'll slow down, but I don't like it. You know, I'd rather just not go grouse hunting with her and, and take a dog that's slower and more than You gotta go take her pheasant hunting the day before you want to go grouse hunting. It doesn't help. No, she still got the energy. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Duke Duke was hard charging for like the first hour and then he became uh pretty methodical, pretty close by. I mean he I mean you hunted with him before. He hunts he for the most part when we were grouse hunting, he'd stay pretty damn close to us. But uh but those wire hairs, I don't know, they were 
they were all kind of other than that one they were all pretty much like that and and very just fun to hunt with good dogs so why didn't you get a wire hair uh because they bit everybody in the neighborhood oh okay mean mean lines I mean, yeah they uh, and you know i don't know just they were they were that mean or i think you take a lot of these german dogs and don't put them around kids ever and just leave them you know, he's kind of a private person, you know, leave him, leave him be. And then all of a sudden they're eight years old and there's a kid running around their yard. It's no good idea, not a good idea for any German dog, I don't think. Yeah. I'm sorry if you start hearing banging, I'm putting the dogs back in. No worries. All right. Well, what else are you doing? Any fishing? Well, we went duck hunting once. Nice. Oh, no, twice. Went duck hunting twice. Got some more ducks. That was fun. That was that's the part I really enjoy is training, training for duck hunting because it's almost all obedience. You can do it all in your yard. Yeah, and they uh, the the pups did well on the retrieves. Yeah. Yep. They have any divers on them yet? No, we were we were uh, hunting in a swamp where yeah, I mean, there's no opportunity for diving. I got you. So, um, but it was pretty hard to find some of them but once they. Once they caught on to start looking at other people's gun barrels instead of mine, because they were getting more retrieved, <laughs> but, uh, they did pretty good. Good stuff, man. Well, I don't know. We can go down a, a fly fishing path now, or we can talk about that another yeah. day. I mean, yeah, it's up to you. I've been seeing your pictures, and uh, it looks like you're taking it to another level. You can save it if you want. Or... No, I, mean, I don't know. We'll We'll touch on it, and then uh, after a couple more trips, we we can go a little in depth. But but yeah, just been fishing new waters, and um, my classic scud sow bug small pheasant tail combo was not really performing for me, and it was really good water. And uh, you can catch and keep these; aren't like catch and release streams. You can keep them and. This part of me was kind of like, no, there's definitely trout in here. I just do not have the right setup. So, fishing new waters and and flipping over rocks, looking are at they, everything. Are stock stock streams where you can keep them, or natural streams? Where Both. There, it's full of wild rainbows. They don't stock rainbows, but they do stock browns. Um, <laughs> but from what I understand, most people there just catch and release anyways, and a lot of the browns are holdovers and and. Uh, they get like natural breeding browns in the stream too, which I believe cause I've caught a couple like four inch brown trout out of there, you know? Um, but I flip it over rocks. I was looking at everything, no scuds, none of my usual limestone insects. So I had to switch up to like big stone flies, peeping caddis, other flies. And, uh, I just, I fished my ass off one day and only caught like three trout, but it was like phenomenal water like really good pockets, just perfect trout habitat. I'm like, there's no way that there's only three trout in here. And, um, how did you go switch tactics up, man? Went, used some weighted flies, no split shots, bigger flies, looking at rocks and finding a bunch of big, uh, bigger nymphs, some slate drakes and, uh, stone flies. And I started fishing those and it was a game changer. And, but every day there is like a new, kind of challenge i gotta like shuffle through the flies as the seasons change and try to and try to find you know what's working it's not like 
our Penn State streams where we have our, yeah, the sulfurs during a certain time. We know we can do that. The caddis come off a certain time, but pretty much all year we can throw a scud as a trailer and we're going to catch a couple trout. Like I still yeah. am putting in the research there, but just that tight line nymphing with, um, with different setups and it worked. It, it you know started to catch on started to do well and right now there are uh browns coming up some pretty big browns coming up uh to spawn from the reservoir and uh i don't know i think i caught one it was probably about you know 17 18 inches um which was the biggest brown i caught there right when they were starting to run allegedly and that was on a nymph pattern and the more and more i think about it is uh was it a was it a 17 inch brown or was it a bob's calling it a 17 inch it was uh it was a legit probably 17 inch brown because i have two <laughs> nail polish marks <laughs> on my rod <laughs> 20 and 25 inches on my rod i don't know why uh but i got them there and it was uh, a little bit shy of the 20 inch mark for sure but uh but anyways, yeah, so I've been thinking, I catch a lot of big rainbows on a lot of different streams, not just like Spruce Creek or whatever in that Penn State section, nymphing. But I haven't really caught all that many, oh, well, I've never caught a 20-inch brown uh, on a nymph, or any, I've never caught a 20-inch brown, well, I can't say that now, because I changed things up, but um, before, I never really caught a big brown trout nymphing. And everything I'm seeing, like guys are like throwing streamers and bigger flies and, and catching brown trout. So I have just gone down this rabbit hole of streamer fishing, sink tip lines, spay casting, spay lines, gadgets, like all this stuff that just got my brain spinning um, into like, okay, how to present these big streamers to try to catch big brown trout. And I don't know if there's any science behind it. But you've been with me when I've caught probably my biggest brown trout on Spring Creek, uh, you know, nymphing. But there's, it's very, very few and far between and nothing ever in the 20-inch mark. So that's it, man. Opening up a new chapter, going down the streamer route. And Saturday I caught a 21-inch uh, brown trout swinging a streamer. And uh, about three hours later I caught a monster brown which kind of weird that it really didn't fight all that hard. It was maybe because I had a seven weight, you know, 12 foot rod, maybe just didn't feel all that good compared to like my, uh, my four weight fly rod. Um, but we brought them in pretty easily. And again, on a streamer. Um, so I'm kind of, kind of very intrigued by this whole streamer fishing thing, opening up that rabbit hole, but I can't really talk about it because I don't know what the hell I'm doing. So when I figured no, out, no, what you mean. yeah, I, uh, that's how I kind of started fishing was basically fishing wet flies, just like you'd fish a streamer, but I didn't know what I was doing then either. So it's yeah, not it's like just, I could help you out. It's so unnatural. When I think about like everything I do is to present a natural drifting bug to present, uh, a fly this way. It's just like, it's so, it's so difficult for me to understand it, but it catches fish. You know what I mean? Like, you know, they go, they go, they chase them. They, 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 you know, they definitely work. So, uh, I'm putting all that shit behind me and I'm just like 
going down this realm of streamer fishing and, and trying to catch big browns. But the other brown, I do not know why we didn't pull out the tape measure because uh, I did go with a guide and I basically called him and said, look, I'm a, I'm a nymph fisherman. That is what I do. I need to learn different techniques. Show me some streamer techniques. And that's all we worked on. I'm like, I don't care if we catch a fish or not. But he had a tape measure. We taped the first one, which was my biggest one ever, 21 inches, and it was a pretty fat uh, female. This other one was like a whole another level of fish. And he, when he got excited, I knew it was a big fish, and he netted it. And I just, he was just like, Bob, this is a big brown trout. And uh, he was more interested in weight, which is fine. I didn't care. I was just so thrilled. I've never caught one of those big browns with like that kiped lower jaw, you know. It was pretty awesome. So uh, he weighed it on the scale, and I'm like, man, it's it's only seven pounds, which is still a big fish, but I thought it was going to be a lot heavier. Uh, and he's like, no, that's that side is kilograms. This side is pounds. <laughs> so I looked on the other side. It was like a little over 15 pounds, something like that. It was like bouncing around. But Holy shit. Yeah, no idea how long it was. He said uh, he looked at me with confidence and was like, that thing was not an inch shorter than 27 inches. Uh, so it was, it was definitely, you know, I think the only trout I've caught that was somewhat, I mean, not counting steelhead, um, but actual trout that I've caught in that range was just like that one barracuda looking rainbow at, uh, at spruce run. But so that might've been my biggest ever trout for sure. Definitely the heaviest. Yeah, I didn't know it was 15 pounds. I saw a picture. That's amazing. Yeah, like the picture, I don't know. It, it was so weird because I was using this new camera and I put it in portrait mode and it kind of didn't give it uh, uh, the justice on the length and how big it really was. But I do have a couple other pictures of me like holding it in the water and you can tell how freaking big this trout is. But yeah, it was uh, it was by far the biggest trout and now I am on this just crazy uh kick of learning how to fish streamers so i mean we've i mean you and i have fished together we'll throw woolly buggers on we'll do that kind of stuff you know what i mean but yeah but i drift them yeah and when we catch fish and we still catch a couple here and there i'll cast it upstream across and strip it perpendicular to the water but you know it's 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 not all that elaborate and i see some people out there doing some crazy things with you know casting downstream swinging across and and uh, doing all kinds of different things that I would never think would uh, would work, but they do. So that is it. I don't well, really have I'll much say, to talk about, but it did you, work. You know, uh, who catches the most giant brown trout of any people that I know? Probably bait fishermen with live minnows. Nope. No? Musky fishermen. Really? Yep, I know of I know of a lot of guys that hammer musky. One of them, Matt Brown, who's on this podcast. Um, they like I'm not exactly sure which lures they're using, but in general, they're using lures that are like nine inches long and weigh like two pounds. Um, so they're using these giant lures, and they're going in sections of rivers where you also find probably giant brown trout as well as musky, like a a bigger river and um i've heard lots of stories over 10 of people catching like over 25 inch brown trout on these giant finangled musky lures that they're just ripping across the water trying to get an aggressive musky that pound it well there it is and that's everyone i know that consistently catches big brown trout they fish streamers 
Mm-hmm. You know, like there, there's, you know, some of the guys that I was grouse hunting with in the upper peninsula, they are, I mean, I fly fish with them back in high school. They're pretty much some of the people that got me into fly fishing way back when. And back then they were fishing streamers. And he's telling me now, he's like, he pulled out his fly box and he had more streamers than I have flies. This thing was like <laughs> a multi-level suitcase and the smallest streamer he had in there was probably four inches. He's like, you know, he's like, we may go to the river and you might catch 20 fish nymphing and I might only catch three fish the whole day. But he's like, those three fish that I catch are going to be ridiculous. And he's like, and and that's kind of how they fish. They don't care about like, they're not looking for the numbers. They're just trying to catch that big fish that might be there. And uh, I'm kind of intrigued by that. And they're telling me stories about, you know. Uh, different places that, you know, where I grew up and different rivers around there and some of the fish they caught showing me pictures. I'm just like, I don't want to nymph fish ever again. You know, (laughs) after seeing that, it's like, man, that is phenomenal. So, so hopefully within this next uh, year, I learn a little bit more and I can actually come on here and, uh, and talk about it like I can with nymphing. But right now it's just uh, so new and honestly, uh, full disclosure, when I caught that giant brown trout, I had lost two flies and I snagged uh, on the side of this lip as I was swinging twice in a row. And I snapped them both off. I couldn't get them out and I tied my third fly on. I'm like, man, this just looks like too good water. I got to get like a couple good drifts in here. Very next cast, man. Right in that area, line stops. I pull it. It doesn't move. I'm like, shit, I'm snagged again. Lost another fly. And like, the line is taut and I give it another pull and then the end of my line takes off. Like I had hooked that fish the first time and I thought it was snag and I didn't even know. That's, uh, that's how, um, skilled I was in presenting my streamer and knowing exactly what was going on. I thought I was snagged and I literally had that brown trout on. So, <laughs> so yeah, so I can't really talk with any kind of, uh, knowledge on it that was about as lucky as you can get that's about a fourth of my fish probably like <laughs> i'm like i'm done with my drift and the flies swinging and i go to recast and i'm like what in the oh all right i'll take this <laughs> it was funny man because i'm like no and the guy's sitting next to me and he's like yeah i'm like what are you talking about and then you know i thought i was snagged and there it goes freaking taking off upstream but uh which everything was cool because I thought it was like a a king salmon. I'd, I'd hooked into a couple of those. I thought it was just like a, a, a king salmon. And uh, that was kind of spawned out and dying. And he, he just looks at me. He goes, Bob, that is a huge brown trout. And he shouldn't. As soon as he said that, I immediately like just lost my mind. I'm like, son of a bitch, do not lose this fish. So the pressure and the anxiety went through the roof versus like, ah, oh, it's just like a dying king. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> I, was afraid to reel. I was afraid to reel. I was afraid to do anything. I just kind of held it there, kept pressure as it was running and, and, uh, and brought it back. Fortunately, it was, it was pretty shallow in the one section. And I got him, I got his nose in that direction. He kind of went sideways and, and the guide went in there and netted him. No problem. So Nice. And that's it, man. That- that's the opposite of Matt Brown always says about catching those giant browns. Like he's out there hammering for musky and they're like, Oh, and everyone gets all excited. You're like, Oh, it's one, it's one of those damn brown trout. Yeah. 
it's hilarious because i took my i took jen my wife on that trip and like on the whole car ride up like i wasn't even talking about like salmon fishing i'm like man i really gotta learn these streamers i gotta catch some monster browns you know like i was talking about that on the car ride up so it uh it was pretty hilarious that actually you know caught two pretty big brown trout on that trip the first time going so looking forward to it but we'll see what happens might not catch a single one at spring creek but there is a spot close to your uncle's camp that i have hooked into fish twice and never even got to see them and broke them both off that i would like to go at night with a streamer and see what happens and I think we had plans to do it the one night when we stayed there, but we got too drunk and never even went down. So. Oh, you might have had a plan, but my plan was to stop fishing. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Well, all right, man. That is a uh, that's you know a good re-entry into the podcast world. Kind of covered a whole gambit of topics from. Kids shooting deer, dogs, grouse, fishing. Anything else you want to talk about? Nope, I'm good for tonight. We'll have to do uh, do some more specific stuff and bring a little more uh, entertainment in. I think we're both um, both always wore out from putting our kids to bed and working all day, and then squeezing this in. I'm I'm half asleep right now. It is crazy too, because it like when I woke up this morning, I was really pumped to do the podcast, and then uh, and then when I called, I was like, "Man, hopefully Garrett like shot that deer or something. He can't podcast tonight." <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm uh, I'm the same way. I just can't wait for the time of my life whenever I can I can be uh, at full potential to do the things I want to do, like this podcast and other shit with you guys. Yeah, so. we'll get after it soon, man. So. Uh, Anyway, we'll uh, try to get these a little bit more consistent now. We'll get Carlos on the next one. I know he's had a hell of a season already uh, with his bow. Took out a got a bear and a couple deer. Um, and, we got a New Jersey bear. Yeah, two years in a row. I mean, that's what I mean. This year. Yeah. Holy shit. Yep. Are you allowed to hunt on public there yet? No, no. So you got to hunt on federal land, and I think uh, – our great governor, I think he banned it all completely going forward. Like, this is the last year on any land. Um, That's yeah. smart. Yeah, because okay. the, uh, the biologists and everybody who actually studies this stuff uh, give an opinion, and uh, you decide to hmm. give your own. So, <laughs> Emotion, but that's what matters. That's right. I don't even want to talk about it right now because I'm going to be fired up and I won't be able to sleep. But... Uh, <laughs> All right. All right, man. Good, Good talking, talking to you, buddy. See you later.